You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Do you have American Home Shield? If you're a homeowner, you should, because when you own a home, you know that it is going to happen. I'm talking about heating going out, refrigerators dying, plumbing issues. It can be a mess that very few of us have the skills or the extra cash on hand to take on. That's where American Home Shield comes in. They will help cover the cost to take care of it. And if they can't fix it, they will replace it or find another solution. And as the nation's largest provider, they have paid more in home warranty claims than any other company. That's added up to more than $2 billion in the past five years. To see everything they cover and to save 50 bucks today, just go to ahs.com slash Rome. ahs.com slash R-O-M-E. It's America's most preferred home warranty. More than 1.8 million customers now. American Home Shield. Be sure with the shield. Trust me, I love American Home Shield because I'm not a guy that can fix a lot of things. I need these guys. Limitations and exclusions do apply. See plan for details. Jim, anytime you need anything, you know how to get a hold of me, my friend. You know, you and I, like I said, I, I know where you started and what you've had to overcome and where you've taken this. So much, much respect. Yo, yo, what's cracking? Welcome to another episode of the Jim Rome Podcast, episode 121. Obviously, these are some pretty troubling, confusing times, so I thought that I'd run down somebody to help make some sense of them and share some no-nonsense advice on how to approach it. He was the trainer to Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, the author of a tremendous book entitled Relentless. He is a phenomenal dude with a powerful message at just the right time. He is Tim Grover, my guest for episode 121 of the Jim Rome podcast. It is a great conversation and it's coming at you right now. So, Tim, it's been a while. In fact, I can't believe that we have not caught up sooner than this. But as always, better late than never. It is great to have you on this podcast. Tim, how are you? Things are excellent, man. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Things are, you know, obviously with everything that's going on right right now, everybody's had to everybody's had to adjust. This is this is this is the time to be resilient. This is not the time to quit. This is not the time to. Woe is me. This is a time to figure stuff out because this is affecting everybody somehow, some way. All right. So this is exactly where I was going. I want to make sure that our listeners, Tim, understand that you have worked closely with and trained some of the best to ever do it, including Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, to name a few. You are a best-selling author of a great book, Relentless. You're a keynote speaker. You help people in all walks of life to be their best version of themselves. So let me ask you that. People are disconcerted. They're scared. They're concerned. It's a really confusing time right now. How should they look at and approach this challenging time? Well, you know what? Listen, it, it is all those things are everything that you said. You know, it, it is a confusing time. People are people are scared. People, but those are emotions that you feel all the time. You feel all the time, and you have to deal with those situations all the time. Listen, if you're fortunate enough to still be around during this, during what's going on right now. Think of all the stuff that you've already already conquered and already been uh, been through and came through 
this is just this is another this is just another situation that you have to figure it out. But you have to be smart enough to I to know who to listen to and what to listen to, and don't add already more to the fear that's already out out there. So everybody's going to handle a situation. Everyone's going to handle the situation differently. You have to choose how you're going to handle the uh, situation, but handle it in a smart way. Don't be don't be stupid with it, but be resilient with it, and you have to keep moving forward. This this is a time that's going to test us all. All right, and the more people that are tested, the stronger you will come out on the other end. This is. One of those situations, and I always say, you know, a lot of times we get to choose our battles. This time, the battle chose us. All right, so let me and ask you this. That can... Yeah, I was going to say, Tim, that, that's a great line. I mean, sometimes you get to choose your battle, and sometimes the battle chooses you. It seems to me that right now, more than ever, it's critical to get your workouts in, but gyms are closing, folks don't know what to do or how or where to work out. In your opinion, do people have any excuse not to get their work in, in terms of workouts during this challenging time? Not at all. Listen, I, I actually put a post on, on this yesterday. It's like, listen, your body has the ability to create so, many, so much resistance through exercises and so forth. You don't need, okay, you may not be able to do everything that you were able to do in the gym, but you could pretty much do 95% of it with your own body weight. If you just change the cadence up, use a little bit, use a little creativity, your body has the ability to create all the resistance and the movement patterns that you need. This is actually a great time if, to get yourself in better shape because you actually – everyone's going to have more idle time. What are you going to do with it? You're going you're to make matters worse by getting in worse shape. If you're already not the most healthiest person out there, this is a time that's going to make people even more unhealthy because now you're like, okay, you're out of your normal routine. You don't do the stuff, so you're kind of sitting at home and you're just eating. This is actually a great time for people to take their health either start a great program or maintain what you're doing or for some people even go a little bit farther because now what's going to happen is you have to motivate yourself. You don't have an instructor or a trainer or somebody telling you what to do in your face, telling you this. Now you have to figure, you have to figure things out. The more you figure things out, the better you'll be able to be, the better you'll be able to stand. Tim, let me ask you, true or false, a weekend of hard partying will erase a week of hard training. True or false? True. True. How you often do you see that? You get, yeah, yeah. And, and here's the thing, especially as you get especially as you get older. You know, when you're younger you might be able to get away with it, but as you get older, I don't believe in cheat days. Okay, everyone talks about, you know, a cheat day, a cheat day. I don't believe in cheat days. I believe in a cheat meal. Okay, I believe in a cheat meal. But you can look, because you know what happens is the people over a weekend, when they go overboard, they totally go overboard. They're like, okay, five days of working out, two days of uh, of doing whatever I want to do. Okay, five is greater than two, so I can't do that much damage. But here's a great example, all right? How long does it take to, let's say, let's just pick any kind of candy bar out there. How long does it take an individual to eat a candy bar? 
Five minutes, maybe? Maybe. 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 Okay, that's if you're really savoring it and so forth. You know how long it takes you to burn off that five minutes? Here it comes. I, I, don't, I don't even want the answer to this question because I know where you're going. Tell me anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it would take you a minimum, minimum of a 50 minutes worth of high-intense cardio or high-intense uh, training to burn that candy bar off. Man, that shit's just so not worth the, it. The, it's crazy. So imagine how much damage when people, when they're saying a weekend, okay, you're actually, it, it, you're actually doing more damage in those two days than you did good in those five. It doesn't balance out. It's the equations actually the other way around. You end up doing more damage. The math is jacked up. All right, Tim, I want to ask you, you yeah. trained with and worked very closely with Kobe and that helicopter crash that took his life and Gigi's and seven others, it it was, Tim, and it's still so shocking. What went through your mind when you first heard about it, and what did Kobe mean to you? Jim, it was just like everybody else. I know how close he was to you. You know, I, I just, when the news first came out, no, I, I was like everybody else. Nah, this is, nah, this is not true. This is not true. Then my phone started to ring and other things. I was like, seriously? This, this really happened? And I knew, you know, I knew how often he took that helicopter. I was on that helicopter. Well, maybe not that particular helicopter, but I was on many helicopter rides with him. Um, it really didn't hit me until three, four days afterwards. And then I was just like, wow. And it was just the crazy part about this whole, whole situation is we were trying to, we were just trying to connect. I was going to go out to LA to see him. He was going to come to Chicago. We were like, okay, maybe, you know, if you come down for the all-star game, we'll, we'll hook up then. And we just kept pushing time off and off and we never got that, that lat. We never got that lat. We never got that moment that we both want, that we both wanted to just kind of hang out, have, have a little bit of fun. Mm. Yeah, man, that is that is hard. That is sad. So, for those yeah. who do not know, Tim, how did you and Kobe initially come together? It was actually through MJ. So, what happened was in 2007, Kobe was like, he was like, man, he called MJ up and he said, hey, my, you listen, my knees are absolutely. He goes, I don't know if I can continue doing if I can continue playing anymore. And MJ and I were no longer working working to get, uh, together. And he goes, hey, listen, why don't you? Try my guy out. Give him, a, give him a shot. So Kobe reached out to me over the phone. You know, I went out to L.A. We did an assessment. We changed kind of his regimen, trained his tra training program around. And, you know, that, that's how we, we went in. You know, like MJ said, he always – Kobe was like, like, his little, like his little brother. It was like, you know, it was family. And when Kobe reached out to MJ, MJ would do anything for him. It would do anything for him. And that's how we got. That's how we got connected. All right. So, what did you learn about Kobe in all those years that you worked with him? I this one how intelligent he was. I mean, this kid, you know, God rest his soul, spoke many different languages, and he he was vastly knowledgeable in so many different things. You know, not only about basketball, but football, soccer the arts, movies, everything. I mean, you talk about, and everything was, he was so intense at everything he did. But his focus, when it was time, he had, he had interest in all those things, but he never let, it never took away his focus from being the best, 
basketball player and being the best athlete out there, uh, holding himself accountable to himself and to the organization and just, just wanting to win, wanting to win at everything. It was like a sponge. He wanted all the knowledge. I would say the difference between MJ and Kobe was MJ would just say, hey, man, I hired you. Go figure this out. You know, what, what's the program? What's the exercises? What we need to do uh, and do it. Kobe wanted to know every single detail. He wanted to know why we did this many reps on an exercise. Why are we working out at this time? What is this exercise for? What is going on here? Why am I eating this? He wanted to know everything. Hmm. Like his work ethic was the stuff of legend. For instance, did you ever see Kobe's work ethic waver? As an example, did Kobe ever say to you, not today, Tim, I'm not feeling it, not today, let's do it tomorrow? No, it was, ju- it was just the opposite. You know, the greatest individuals, and not only in sports, you know, in your industry, the entertainment industry, whatever industry is, you never have to tell them to show up early. You never have to tell them to stay late. Those are the individuals you got to literally – you got to hold them from themselves. You know, I would have to tell Kobe, enough. You know, that's enough. It's time, it's time to go. We've already done this. And he'd be like, no, I want to go another Kobe. We're at that point. And very few people were able to tell, uh, tell him that and just kind of put the foot down and say, you know, we're at the point of no return now. If we continue to do stuff, it's actually going to hinder It's actually going to hinder us. And it took, you know, because of the level of respect that he had for Michael in the years I've spent, I spent with him. He listened to me sometimes during that thing, not all the time, but sometimes. I ne- these guys, you never had to motivate. That was the one thing. You never had, I never had to light his fire. His fire was already, his fire was already lit. They never used me for motivation. They used me to elevate everything they already had. All right, so Tim, I've asked this question of so many people. I'm not saying there's a lot of people like you because there aren't, but people... You know, people like Kobe, people like Mike, people like you, and I'm always in search of this question. You wrote, and you. And, well, I don't know about me. I hope. Like, I'm trying. I'm striving. But you wrote no, an no, amazing— No, no, no. Listen, people have to do their history and homework on you. Every, hey, listen, I'm going to pat you on the back right now because I know you won't do it yourself. All the stuff that's going on now, you know, with the, in the media, the TVs, and the radio, you, start, you were like—you started this stuff. You were one of the guys that actually started it. People just haven't done it. People that don't know haven't done their history on you. I appreciate you, Tim. That's really nice. I mean, yeah. I, sincerely, truly, I really appreciate you saying that. That means a lot to me, yeah. and especially coming to you. So, and thank you. And I was going to say, you wrote an amazing book called Relentless, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about guys that are relentless, people who are relentless, and that this fire was already lit, and they were looking to you to elevate them. I want to know how the fire gets lit. For instance, being relentless, is it something you're hardwired for? Is it something you're born with? Are people like that? Or can you learn to be like them and others who are no, relentless? You, you can learn it. it. It's all how you handle adversity. It's all how you handle it. And, and then, you know, what happens was if you look at the greatest individuals in sports, business, whatever, whatever, it, whatever it may be, it's when they got knocked down. When they got back up, they weren't the same person. They were a different person. They were a better person. So every time they got knocked down and they stood back up, they didn't stand up the same. They stood up either stronger. They stood up smarter. They stood up harder. They stood up more resilient. So every time they got knocked down, they stood up a different way and they stood up a different person. 
So that's how it becomes hardwired because all those things become that wire to success. So, you know, you look at MJ and, you know, if you know his history, obviously everyone knows about him getting cut from the high, from the uh, high school, from the high school basketball team. But there were other things that even before that, or there were things after that, you know, people telling him he wasn't good enough to play at North, uh, North Carolina. And then with Kobe, you know, what is this? Who is this 17 year old kid going to talk about? Coming, coming into the coming into the NBA and coming in and having to sit on the bench and deal with all and waiting for his turn. So instead of sitting there and you know moping about it, it's like how do you use that? How do you use that for fuel? How do you use that to keep your own fire? To keep your own fire lit? To keep going? So all those things are what builds and hardwires an individual to be to be that way. If you look at all, you know where you had to deal with to get to your TV show, to get to your radio show, to get to all the other stuff. How many people said, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Why are you doing things this way? And instead of you agreeing with them, it made your fire even higher, even higher. For myself, when people said, you know, you can't, you're not going to train these professional athletes. But then after all this becomes the most, two most important words that you have to back up that light the fire more than anything else. Watch me. Michael said, watch me. Kobe said, watch me. I said, watch me. And I'm sure somewhere in your, in your career, you said the same thing. I think you're right, Tim. I don't think anybody ever achieves anything great without having that chip on their shoulder and that, that kind of rocket fuel, whatever it is. Now, I can understand how you got to Kobe because you had the endorsement of MJ, except MJ was your first pro client going back to 1989. How did you yeah. get to Michael Jordan and convince him to let you work and train him? <laughs> so, that, so going all the way back to 89, so what I did was I sent out a bunch of letters, you know, handwritten letters. I was like, okay, I, and I, I wrote 14 letters. Obviously, you know, there's 15, there's 15 NBA players on a roster back then. What, what was it? I can't even remember. It wasn't the injured list. What do they have? Uh, when the three players were inactive. I can't remember even the name of it. But so I sent out 14 letters to every player in the uh, Chicago Bulls organization. The one person I didn't send a letter out to was Michael Jordan because I was just like, well, he's, uh, you know, he's already the best player on the team, possibly the best player in the league. Why would he, why would he need my help? I got one response back from the one guy I didn't send a letter to. He handed a letter to the athletic trainer, Mark File, at the time of the team physician, John Heffron, and said, hey, find out what this kid's about. And three, uh, the, the team physician and the team athletic trainer called me, and, you know, they put me through three months of questions and answering to make sure I knew what I was talking about, all this different stuff about uh, anatomy and physiology and athletic training and so forth. And then, because what Michael was looking for – Michael didn't want, he wanted to have somebody pay attention to him. He was the first pro, high profile professional athlete to say, I need a program catered to me, not everybody, not everybody else. And those individuals put me in touch with, uh, put me in touch with Michael. I had an hour meeting with Michael. Uh, Michael was, I'm still not sure about this. I said, Michael, give me 30 days. 30 days turned into 15 years. Hmm. 
So you, that's an amazing story that he was the only one who didn't get the letter and then he was the one who responded and came and find you or found you. Now, Tim, you've said that Mike, I don't know if you still feel this way, but you said in the past that he was the GOAT. If, in fact, he was the GOAT, what separated Mike from all the other all-time greats? Was it something physical or was it something else? Now, you know what? I've dealt with athletes, and, you know, you and I have both seen athletes that are more athletic than Michael is. But when you have a combination of the athletic ability, the work ethic, and the mental toughness, you know, this is why I say, my, you know, these great athletes, they had talent. You know, how many athletes do you know are extremely talented, all right? But they don't have the intelligence for the game or for the nuance to see what's going on, to see what's going on. All right. So Michael, Kobe, Dwayne, all the top athletes, they were talented. They were intelligent. They were competitive as hell. And they were so freaking resilient. And Michael knew how to use all the gifts that he had. You know, those massive, the massive hands. So he worked, he worked on not having the, you know, not having the, both hands touch the ball in order to make a move. You know, we worked on him being able to pick the ball up off the dribble, strengthening those muscles, strengthening those fingers. Obviously, he had the, he had the tools, tools to do that already. But just that mindset of never, never coming down to anybody else's level, always wanting everybody else to elevate their level because he was not going to come down. He was not going to come down to theirs. Kobe was the exact same way. Kobe was the same way. What? What? One hundred percent. I mean, you you you've heard the stories in practice, you know, and they're true. And those they're, they're, they are absolutely true. If you came to practice with either one of those guys, and you, you did, and it was, and you went out and party that uh, that night before, it was over. It was over. They were literally, they would demoralize you in that practice over and over and over and over again, because they were like, listen. This is not the time to do that. We'll all celebrate together at the championship parade. But right now, I need every single bit of you. And you showing up, the practice where you're getting better is not, after a night of partying, is not acceptable. Now, Tim, you, I mentioned the book Relentless. And in that book, you referred to Kobe as, quote, the ultimate athletic predator. What did you mean by that? He would attack your weakness. He did not. And this was something he learned from Michael. So what we did was, you know, being from a, you know, athletic background, training background and so forth from a science background. So what I would do is you would, you would get the injury reports of the players. So what I would do is I would, I would get, I would send the players I would say, okay, hey, listen, this person just had a – they're coming off an ankle sprain or they had, they had a knee tendonitis six weeks ago or they jammed a finger. So I would say these, these are the vulnerable points of who you're going up against. All right, attack that point. Attack it, attack it, attack it over and over again. So if you see a person – so if you see an athlete out there that only had the right ankle taped – Attack that ankle. If you saw somebody have a knee sleeve on, attack, attack, attack that knee. 
So they looked for their opponent's weakness and they took advantage of it, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a, from a mental standpoint. And you know how much trash Kobe talked on the court because we know how much trash he talked just sitting at a dinner or lunch. Right, exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. You know, and also, yeah. you, you didn't, Tim, you didn't need to teach this to those two guys, but I know you do teach this. What you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you're telling people to tap into their dark side, right? 100%. And everybody has a dark side. And this isn't about vampires or Star Wars or anything like that. The dark side is what keeps you going when nothing else will. You know, when you have, when, you go to sleep hungry and you have to get up and you still have to get to work. You still have to fight. All right. What keeps you going? That's, that's, that's the dark, that's the dark side. When you have adversity that everybody else uses as an excuse and you use it as a watch me moment, that's the dark side. It what keeps you going when nothing else will. It's your fuel. It's what. It's what's unique. It's what's unique to you. Tim, what, for those who do not know or don't remember, what was the breakfast club and who attended? What, was, what were those sessions like? Well, the breakfast club, it was, it was Michael. So first Michael, and then he invited Scotty. And then he invited, uh, Scotty invited Ron Harper. So it was those three that would work out on a workout on a regular basis. Now it was open to everybody, but you know, those are the only three that showed up, uh, showed up, consistent, showed up consistently. And the workouts were either at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And that was strictly by Michael's call, Michael's calling. He would say, this is what time we're going to, we're going to work out. So, he would let, he would know what the schedule is. I would get I would get to the house about thirty minutes ahead of time. Get every get everything set up, and not one time do I recall any of those three ever being late because they they would ride each other so much. So they held each other accountable. They held each other responsible. And each workout, they all had we all had a basic program that all three of them did. We had a fundamental and the core exercises that all three of them did. Then, they, then I had different programs for each one because obviously they had, each one had different issues going on at certain times, certain times in their career. And after the workout was over, and remember this even happened on game day. This was not, this was not just on the practice days. This was on game days. Also, the only time they got a chance to take a day off, is when the coach gave them a day off. If the coach did not give them, give them a day off, it was a day that they were also training in the gym. And then after we get done with our we get done with our workouts, they'd have breakfast prepared for them. They'd go upstairs, eat breakfast, talk about the daily what's going on in sports on that particular day, and then before they all leave. The focus got to who they were going to play, who they're getting ready for, what, what's going to entail in that practice. They'd end up going to practice, get ready. And then while the other guys were still working Sleeping. out, they were already done. Right. And that was the one thing that they loved. They were like, okay. So they had got to spend more time working on their craft by getting early, by getting their condition, weight, and, weight training, conditioning, and sports performance training done early. Tim, it seems to me like Mike was Mike, for sure, period. 
I guess I could argue that Mike might not have been the Mike that we know without Scotty because Scotty was that good. But put that aside for a minute, man. I loved Ron Harper. And if you didn't bring him up, I was going to bring him up. Man, I loved everything about Ron Harper. That was a pro's pro, Ron Harper, right? What was he like to work with? One, listen, Ron's basketball IQ right. is off the charts. Off the charts. And he's a great example of what you said the dark, about the dark side. So, you know, obviously people that know Ron, he had a little bit of issue. He had a stuttering problem. So he wasn't, he wasn't very verbal at times. All right. But he was able, like he, they, I remember Michael saying that he had never seen anybody pick up the triangle as quickly as Ron Harper did. Hmm. He said, Ron walked into practice the first day, pointing things out. He goes, I got it. I got it. His basketball knowledge was off the charts. So what happened was whoever did, um, when Ron had tore his um, ACL, whoever had did his work, I don't know if it was, if Ron wasn't focused at the time or whoever did the rehab, they, they, didn't, do the, they didn't do the job correctly. And, you know, Ron had a couple of pretty non-stellar years with the Chicago Bulls, and he was kind of on, on his way out. And Michael always respected Ron because of the battles they had, you know, when he was in Cleveland and Michael was in, Michael was in Chicago. So he was like, hey, man, listen, you need to come to these workouts. You need to let my guys see, see what's going on, see if we can get you, you know, back to where, back to where you used to be. Because Michael knew how valuable Ron was from not only from an offensive standpoint, but from a defensive standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, and knowing that he had, he had been battle-tested. So it was also self-serving because he was like, if I can get Ron back to where he was or close to it, it's going to help me to get that end, end result. But it, they, so much respect for Ron Harper, so much. Tim, go back to that point, me too, and go back to the point you made about him having a slight stutter. I want to get your opinion on this because, and this is one of the reasons why I so admired him and so respected him, and I love the guy. He would come on my radio program, you know, and not to be crass, but that that was a pretty fucking big radio program. And he would come yes, on, Tim, and he would, and it still was pretty big, but, I mean, he would stutter and I mean, what what courage it would take to come on and do an interview with me, and he would stutter and just just soldier through it, power through it, and answer every question. In my entire career, I've never seen anybody like that. I mean, I've seen guys overcome things like that, or even specifically mm -hmm. a stutter, but it would show up at times, and sometimes worse than others. But he always yeah. did the interview. What's that say about him? You know what. This, so this is – you just brought up a great example of showing up. With everything that's going on right now, you still got to show up. You still have to show up. So regardless of what, you know, what people thought was a, inadequacy in Ron and the way he talked and so forth, he always showed up. He showed up at every single practice. He showed up at every interview. He showed up on your radio. Uh, he showed up on your radio show numerous times. TV shows. He was always there to meet the media uh, after games, before the games. You always have to show up because you know people. People always say this. You know, showing up is half the battle. Is it? No, showing up. No, no. See, this is what showing up is none of the battle. You have to show up. You have. You, you can't do your program. 
you can't do your radio show. You can't do your TV show. You can't do your podcast. Michael can't do what he, what he did. Kobe can't do what he used to do. You know, Ron can't do. Nobody can do if showing up is a battle. You ha- showing up is mandatory. It can't be. The battle comes after you show up, not when you show up. You, so if you if half the energy is spent where you're just like, well, I showed up today, <laughs> just because you showed up doesn't mean you're there. How many guests have you interviewed all right, that have that showed up but weren't really there? Half of them or more. So in other words, no credit for showing up. No credit for picking up the phone. If you're not engaged and you're not interested and you don't want to be there, you don't get half credit. You don't get exactly. You don't get half, you don't get half credit. And here's the thing, the people that are great at what they do, they're more harder on themselves than anybody else. You know, if I, when, I see it, when I work with an athlete and, you know, an injury happens or something happens, or even if it wasn't my fault, right, it was, I, I go back through my whole mind about, man, you know what, if I, should, I, should, I did too many, uh, I should have not done that exercise, or I should have added this, I should have done, you start going, you start going over things in your, in your mind. Every time you do a podcast, you, you do a radio show, everybody will come up to you, man, that was a great show, great show, and you'll remember the one thing you could have done better. You're like, Always. man, you know what, I should have asked that question, or I missed that thing here, or something here. That's the dark side. That's never being satisfied. That's being pressure is a privilege. Always wanting more. 100%. I agree 100%. So, Tim, in 2003, Pat Riley calls you the day of the NBA draft. What did he want? <laughs> so he goes, we're in a little bit. Of, he goes, we're in a little bit of dilemma right now. You know, I said, I said, what? And we were still working. We were still working guys out during that time, not for the draft, but you know, our, our veterans. And he goes, he goes, we don't know. He goes, Chris Kamen or Dwayne Wade. Hmm. Okay. He goes, who is the better player right now? I said, Chris Kamen is a better player right now. And I said, but I said, hold on. I said, in two years, Dwayne Wade will be the better player. He has all-star, superstar potential. And uh, he goes, we need, we, he goes, we need a center. I said, take Dwayne Wade. He goes, we need a center. I said, take Dwayne Wade. He goes, we still need a center. I said, take Dwayne Wade. And then because I know I know the knew. Bulls were going to pick him at, at pick him at pick him at seven, and you know he wanted to be a, he wanted to be a Chicago kid. His you know his uh, his former agent who's passed away now, Henry Thomas, was also from Chicago. So they had they had this whole thing where they were going to go to uh, he was going to go to Chicago. But I said this kid, and then the other thing was just like I said this kid's work ethic. I said his athletic ability. And the one thing Dwayne had, Dwayne, and Kobe kind of mentioned this. He goes, um, he goes, coming off a pick and roll or a screen, he goes, Dwayne was the hardest, way, hardest person to, uh, to uh, guard because he got through it so quick and he could change direction so fast. And obviously that's when uh, Shaq uh, nicknamed him the Flash. But he had these things that when he had to compete, he just was able to take it up to another level. I mean, it was just it was just amazing. 
It, it was. Tim, when you mentioned you mentioned yeah. Shaq, I really want to get your thoughts on this before I let you go. I got a couple quick things I want to hit you with, and I so appreciate the time. But Shaq, like especially Anytime. you, especially you, Tim, like I remember I had made a statement on ESPN when I had my show back then about, hey, man, the thing about Shaq is he, he may have four, but he should have six or more and would if he had the same focus as Kobe. And he, he literally, he went crazy. He found this. There was a media guy that I knew that was close with him, and the media guy calls me up and says, dude, I just want to tell you something. He He's really upset like he wants to kill you literally kill you I've never seen the big man so upset he's really upset you know put that aside for a minute I'm just curious from where you live and what you do and who you are and self-actualization and maximizing your abilities when you see somebody like Shaq I'm granted an incredibly gifted big man and skilled but probably not as committed as Mike and Kobe as the trainer and motivator that you are, what do you think when you see somebody like that with that ability who's not maximizing it? It's exactly what you said. It's exactly what, uh, what, what, what Kobe said about it. And here's the thing. The reason Shaq was so upset when you said that. Because I was right. 100%. Why do people, when people get angry and upset, is <laughs> because... People always tell you to be truthful with them, but when you're truthful with them, what happens? They don't want you to be truthful with them. So, eh, eh, listen, everybody that knows it, listen, Kobe used to tell him even in practice, he's like, dude, if you, if you, had, if you had what I had or eat close to it, we'd, be run, we'd have ran, a, forget about a three-peat, they, they would have kept on going for who, know, who knows when. Right. Exactly, which was my point. So, yeah, when you and, and the point and point is true. So, really quickly, what was your reaction, Tim, when you see Tom Brady walk away from walk away from New England after twenty years with mm-hmm. the Pats? What's the first thing that goes through your mind? You know what? So, first thing that goes through my mind is. You know, I have a, uh, in the book, we, we talk about coolers, closers, and cleaners. And obviously, Tom Brady is a cleaner, is an individual that brings that end result over and over again. He wants to prove that he can do it somewhere else. Because it, 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 it's, it, it's, a, it, it's a legacy icon thing. He wants to go out and say, listen... At the age of 40-something, now, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but he wants to go to another team and say, listen, to prove all the people that said it's the coaching, it's the system, you know, I'm a system quarterback, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. He wants to add to his legacy by saying, I want to go prove that I can do this somewhere else. We know he definitely – he always talks about it. I don't need the money. He goes, my, uh, my wife makes more money right. in a month than I've made in my whole football career. So it's not, it's not about the money, but it's about that. It's that constant challenge. It's that constant of what, what's, what's next. It's that chase for that excellence. It's always what's next. That's what fuels these guys. It's not after they're done, there's always a next. I mean, if you look at Michael, you know, when he finished his basketball career, there was a next. When Kobe finished his basketball career, there was a next. When Dwayne finished his, there's a next. For you, there's always a next. For me, there's always a next. For these individuals, there has to be a next. And this is Tom's next. 
And he's even set it up for a next after that next. Now, finally, this yeah. this is in effect, and this is what you teach, and this is what you do. You're a coach, you're a mentor, you're a guru. For people who have read Relentless, or maybe even if they have not read Relentless, if they want more access to more of your content, if they want to get away to be a little bit closer to you and learn more of what you and I have talked about, is there a way for them to do so? Yeah, I mean, listen, you can go to the website. It's timgrover.com. Very simple. My uh, social media is at Attack Athletics. And, you know, we offer programs and so forth that, you know, be more extensive if they're, if they're interested, if they're interested, you know. And um, so, yeah, just everything's available at timgrover.com. You can, whatever, all the information is there. You know, we've gone, we've gone, uh, we still deal with the professional athletes, but we've also gone into the court. We've also gone into the, you know, speaking in corporate training. So, and into the general public. So it's, it's available. Relentless is a mindset that can be achieved by all of us. I always say this, everything we have is already inside of us. Just majority of us are afraid to use it. Tim, last thought, what is what is the relentless system? Now, if you want to say to me, go to my website, I have more information, I accept that, but can you give us kind of a taste? What is the relentless so, system that you teach? The, the relentless system, it's it, when people, like, you're not going to be able, no one's going to be able to play basketball like the clients that I've, uh, that, that I've, dealt, I've dealt with, all right? But from a mindset, you can still you can still learn how these individuals dealt with adversity, how they dealt with winning, how they dealt with losing, how they dealt with family life, how they dealt with everything that comes on, that comes on, or, uh, that deals with the fame, not having to be resilient. You know, the relentless system is, it's all about the mindset of winning over and over again, in no matter what you do, not just in sports, but you know, everyone can relate to, sports icons to sports stories and so forth don't look at their physical gifts look at what they overcame from a mental standpoint when that when they lost when they missed the game when when they missed the game winning shot when they had to do stuff with injury when they had to deal with injuries that's all a mindset that we can all learn, and the relentless system is about that mindset. I'm going to hate myself if I don't ask this quick follow-up. We can, we can never be physically what they are, but honestly, be real with me, Tim. Can we develop an elite—I mean, anybody like us, normal lay people, can we deliver—can we develop a mindset as elite as theirs or close to it? Is that even realistic? It is realistic. And you know what? Here's the people—the <laughs> people that ask that question— are already there. That's the that's the crazy part. And the one thing I learned about the story about the letter, the more elite a person is from a mindset standpoint, the more they want to get better. The more they doubt themselves, the more they want to continue to prove. The more they want to continue to prove. So those individuals, they're already there, but they don't feel like they're there. And the people that aren't there, never think they can get there. And we all can get there. I am going to end this the way I started this. Well, first of all, by thanking you, Tim Grover, but I want to end it by saying it has been a while, and I can't believe that we did not get caught up sooner, but better late than never, Tim. That was such an amazing conversation. It is so great to talk to you, and I'm so glad that we came together and could get caught up like that. Tim, thank you so much. 
My pleasure, man. Anytime you need anything, you know how to get a hold of me, my friend. You know, you and I, like I said, I, I know where you started and what you've had to overcome and where you've taken this. So much, much respect. All right, so what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? This is an issue, right? Because we do crave protein and we do need more energy. I'll tell you what we don't want. We don't want another bar or a sugary snack or an energy drink. We want beef, pure and simple. So where is the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak, quality spices. They're smoked over a real wood fire, so it's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. So what makes it so good? All those things and the company behind it. Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously so you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four great flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So make sure you look for Old Trapper. It's in a clear view bag so you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky ever compares to Old Trapper. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So great to get caught up with Tim Grover and to bring that longtime relationship to the long-form podcast. I love what he said about not letting yourself slide during these trying times. Do not give back all the work. Stay at it. Find a way. Tremendous stuff from Tim. Now, while the entire world is on pause, it is a great time to press play on any of the previous 120 episodes that are available for free on demand right now. Take a tour through our back catalog and drop a needle on any of the conversations and let the podcast help you escape for 30 or 45 minutes. Trust me, it is a nice welcome distraction and the content is premium. Thank you once again so much for listening. I know now more than ever, you have a ton of choices, so it means a lot that you choose this one. Please keep doing that and rate, review, and subscribe, and I appreciate it so much. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Jimmers, are you still uh, drinking Sapphire? I haven't uh, heard you mention that on the show lately. Curious, have you sort of moved on? Because I'm drinking some tonight because apparently the fucking world's about to end. And uh, why not? Danny Orlando, peace. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. I'm so excited. Tom Brady has officially decided to leave New England. I mean, all I can say is the window is now for the Bills to go grab that AFC East. And I'll tell you one thing, all the moves we've made this offseason, the Stephon Diggs move, bringing in uh, Mario Addison, they're primed to win right now. Josh Allen is going to take another big step this offseason. The Bills are on their way to winning a Lombardi trophy. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Jim Rome? This is Joey from Kansas City. And I know you're going to get a ton of calls about this coronavirus thing. But all these sports getting canceled, I feel like I needed a self-therapy session through your voicemail. I just want to say I think we're all going to come out of this better and more appreciative of the sports world because I didn't know how much I would actually miss March Madness or the Players' Championship. Just don't take anything for granted after this. And tour stop being canceled, that sucks, man. But we'll bounce back. Peace. Message deleted. Next message. Phil Mickelson says, Phil likes big butts and he cannot lie. You other guys can't deny. 
when a putt goes by with an itty bitty break, I'm thinking I'll lob my kick. I've got guns. But inside I can't front. I really want to be just that. Deep in my pants, it's flaring. I poop and the crowd is staring. My caddy tried to warn me, but my drawers now look like Minestrone. Message deleted. Next message. Scratch break. Rex, 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 Rex. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Steve here in Centerfell, the musician guy. All my gigs are canceled, of course, and I bet your beautiful deal in Buffalo is probably canceled, which sucks. You're not on TV, and I hope it's not due to this thing, but I could understand if it is, but at least you're on radio. Thank God. Okay? Keep it up. We need this. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Army, this is Beavis, and I'm so angry because people keep buying up TV at the stores. I have the great Cornelio. I need TV for me, bunghole. And I have no TV for me, bunghole. Message deleted. Next message. Jim, my name is Tom. I used to be the director of public relations for the Seattle Supersonics. I started my career at the Houston Rockets in 1997. That's when I first started listening to you, and your stuff is really good. But I got to tell you, when you do something that's non-sports related, like Danny DeVito, dude, that was just spectacular. In fact, my dog is very happy about it because I normally give her about a mile walk every day. But I'm walking with her, listening to the Danny DeVito interview. We locked that sucker in for about three miles because I had to hear the end of it. Anyway, really great stuff. I appreciate listening to it. Take care. Message saved. You have no more messages.